In America, we uh, have this kind of, you know, I don't know, just like underlying, you know, spirit about us as Americans. Uh, it seems to have started from the very beginning of the foundation of our country, but, you know, who knows? I didn't live that back then, so maybe it's something more new that's kind of come over time. But, you know, we have this kind of perspective that, you know, uh, you know, that we can do it, right? Like, you know, like there is nothing, you know, that we, that we can't accomplish, right? That, that we can figure it out, you know? whether it be, you know, as Americans or whether it be just in our own individual lives personally, like this can-do spirit, right, about being an American. Like you just, this kind of, we grow up with it, right? It's just kind of everywhere. Uh, you know, we know there's lots of four-letter words, right? But, but one of uh, maybe the worst four-letter words in our culture is the word can't, right? I mean, you, I mean, you hear someone say can't, and you're like, whoa, 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 wait, wait just, what do you mean can't? Like, we're not saying can't. We can do it. Well, keep trying, you know. Don't say can't. Keep, keep working at it. Keep trying. You can do it eventually. You know, as a coach, I coached uh, middle school uh, football and basketball and baseball uh, for, for many years and, and loved it. But, you know, that's kind of one of the things of coaching, right? You know, hey, don't give up. Don't stop trying. No, you can, you can do this. Keep pushing. Keep working, right? As a parent, right? We, we're, we're constantly encouraging our kids, like, don't just, I can't do math. Well, no, 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 stop. Yes, you can do math. Let's figure this out. Let's get down, right? I can't, I can't, no, that is a can't is a four-letter word. We are not saying that. It's now from, all, from now on the C word, right? Because it's a four-letter word, right? You know, like, we're not going to say that anymore, but it's interesting, right? Because this is the encouragement that we find. And, and we even find this in the church. And I'm not saying it's necessarily wrong, but you know, like when we as Christians hear about someone who's struggling, you know, what's the encouraging words? It's okay. You can do this. You've got this. It'll be all right. And then we'll throw out verses sometimes like Philippians 4.13. You can do all things through Christ. You can do this. It's all right. Just, you know, trust him. It's, it's going to be okay, right? That everything is going to work out. You've got this. God's got you. It's going to be okay. And I, you know, I think that's true. Like, I'm not saying we shouldn't encourage people to some extent. But I do think that in America, we have this, we struggle with I can we have to struggle with this can-do spirit because it bumps up against Scripture. It, it bumps into these perspectives that the Bible gives us that in our weaknesses, we're strong. Wait a second. No, no, I can do it. You know, we, we can too often look at Philippians 4.13 and think, you know, I can actually really do it. I just kind of need a little bit of help, Right? So I can do all things with a little bit of help from God. Then I can do it. And, and, and certainly there are people in our world, you know, as a coach, I, I coached two different schools. And so one school was kind of the wealthy middle class school, right? And wealth, you know, middle class and up school. And all of these kids, I mean, they had gotten all of the greatest things, right? They had gotten all the extra coaching, all the extra time, all the, you know, I mean, all this kind of stuff, right? And, and they were told over and over again, they can do it. And they have experienced the fact that they can do it. And so there's a lot of, you know, kind of they can do this. But the other school I coached at was a low-income school where a lot of kids are growing up in, you know, homes that were just kind of chaos and craziness. And they were told most of their life that they can't do it. 
And so they come into practice, and, and part of me as a coach, you know, it was trying to get them to open up their minds, like, don't just give up right away, right? And we need to encourage people not to just give up easily. But I think we have to be careful about pushing this idea that we can. Because, you know, if we continue to push someone to say, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it, what is that emphasizing? We think it's emphasizing their self-esteem, but, but actually, yes, what it's actually emphasizing is that my value is in achievement. I, why do we keep encouraging you to do it? Because you've got to do it. You've got to figure it out. You've got to be successful. And I think we have to be careful because this is what I think a lot of us in America struggle with when it comes to our relationship with God, is we really don't need him. We just need a little bit of them. In our passage today in Genesis 32 and 33, we see Jacob, and this is his issue. His issue isn't a low self-esteem. His issue isn't, you know, being a guy who just gives up too easily. His issue is that his whole life, he's been told that he can, and he's had success manipulating things, working things out so that he can get what he wants, so that he can achieve, so that he can have all the best things in the world. And we come to this point in this story in Genesis 32, and there's a, there's a crisis moment with Jacob. And it's amazing, I, you know, our, 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 uh, our, our school, you know, counselors I think if they read this story, they would be shocked by how God deals with Jacob. Because again, in a moment of time when we're, we're struggling, when we're going, I can't do this. Oh my gosh, I'm afraid. Oh my, what am I going to do? Where do I go? What do I, we, we, you know, we always want to come and say, it's okay. It's all right. You've got this. You're going to be okay. Come on. It's, you can do this, right? And, and God does not do that with Jacob. So let's read the story, right? Oh my gosh, it's good. Good story. So Genesis chapter 32. How does God deal with Jacob in his moment of crisis, his time when he's fearful? He needs, needs something, needs help. Genesis, we'll start with the, the verse, first 21 verses of 32. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. Instructing them, thus you shall, excuse me, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to, uh, I sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And the messenger returned to Jacob, saying, we came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob then said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy 
of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mother with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he stayed there that night, and from what he had from him, with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. These he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the first, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you to, to whom do you belong, where are you going, and whose are these ahead of you, then you shall say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present since to my Lord Esau, and moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him, and you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the presence that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed the night in the camp. So, so Esau sends word to his brother, excuse me, Jacob sends word to his brother Esau and says, hey, I'm, I'm coming. And, you know, the Lord has blessed me. I've got all these things. I'm coming to meet you. And then he, he gets word back, hey, your brother is coming to meet you too. And he's bringing 400 men. So, so Jacob is like freaking out right now. He's like, oh my gosh, uh, Esau, you know, when I left him, he was really mad because I stole all this stuff from him. He's not happy. He's going to come. He's going to attack. He's going to kill me. And so, so Jacob is freaking out here. He's, he's, he's fearful. He doesn't know what's going to happen. And so he kind of goes into his typical mode of, okay, how do I fix this, right? How do I, how do I manipulate this situation, right? And so he gets, you know, all of this, these presents together. Like, are we going to send those out? And we're going to, you know, I'm just going to shower him with all these gifts. You know, maybe by the time he gets to me, he'll have enough. And you go, oh, yeah, actually, you know, maybe I'll keep you know, this guy alive, right? You know, kind of thing. But also, he goes to the Lord, Right? He gets on his knees before the Lord and says, Lord, I, I, I can't do this. Like, I'm fearful for my life. Esau's going to take, he's going to attack me. He's going to take me down. I, I need you. And, and there's this sense of you know, uh, awareness. Like, you know, God, you have given me all this stuff. I, I don't deserve any of it. You have given it to me. And, and so, you know, like, I don't deserve this, but would you please come and help and protect me? Will you show up for me and help me through this time? And then at the very end, he goes, and you know, and, and remember, God, that, that remember, remember you promised. Remember, remember what you promised me, you know, back when I first left my brother and in that dream I had in that conversation where you said I was going to have a this big nation that I was going to, you know, going to bless me, right? Even in this prayer, we see a manipulation by Jacob. He's trying to work God, right? He's trying to work that angle. Like, God, hey, don't forget, you promised me, right? So you owe me. In the midst of all of this time of fear and, and wrestling and ongoing, oh my gosh, what is, what is, what's going to happen? Jacob still hasn't given up. He's still clinging to the fight. 
He's still hanging on to the sense that he can do it. Like, somehow I can make this work. If I just work my angles, like if I just use the wisdom that I have, this deceptive mind that I have, if I can work and manipulate this situation so that it works out the best for me. Maybe at this point, it's a, a good point to ask the question, you know, are you Jacob? I know, you know, in my life, I've been Jacob a bunch, <laughs> right? My, my tendency is always to fall back on my own strength. Anytime I get into a situation, I think, ah, I got this, I can do it. Did, actually just did this this last week. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago in reflection as, you know, Pastor Bob and Sherry are, are moving on and uh, thinking, oh my gosh, there's all this stuff that I've got to somehow take care of, you know, as the pastor and now I don't have this right-hand man can help to do all these things. And, and, I, and my first tendency is like, ah, it's all right, I got this. And I kind of lived that for several weeks. <laughs> but right, I mean, are you Jacob? And when trouble comes, when fear builds in your heart, where do you turn? What, what's your tendency? And do you stay with that tendency or do you recognize, wait a second, right? Do you try to manipulate the situation? Do you try to like work all the angles? I love, <laughs> like it's... <laughs> If you really look at this, like, again, from an American mindset, God's interaction with him, even in a biblical mindset, God's interaction with Jacob is very, seems very off. Like, if you knew all the rest of Scripture, and then you were to see this situation, you'd go, wait a second, this doesn't sound like God. Because, you know, what happens over and over again in Scripture when an angel shows up or some horrible thing? Think about like Joshua, right? Moses has just died, right? And now Joshua's in charge of the, the, the nation of Israel. Like, oh my gosh, and we've got to take him into the promised land and this battle, right? And, and, and what's the first chapter of Joshua say? Like over and over again, God is saying what? Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Have courage, Right? Be strong and courageous and step out. But why? Because I am with you, right? So this is like over and over again, this kind of story happens in Scripture. But in Jacob, when he's in his moment of fear and trembling, freaking out over the fact that his life maybe indeed is on the line, God shows up, but he doesn't say, do not fear. Let's read it. Verse 22 to the end of the chapter. The same night he rose and took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? 
And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. What does God do? Again, he, he doesn't come with encouraging words for Jacob. Oh, Jacob, I hear your cries. I, I know you're struggling. I know you're afraid, but it's okay. Don't worry about it. I'm with you. He, he doesn't say, do not be afraid, Jacob. He, he, just, he shows up, and there's this wrestling match that happens. Now, now, we don't know for sure if this man who Jacob wrestled with is actually God. It may not be, but you know, it certainly seems that's what Jacob thought, that this was the man of God because of the name of this place, Peniel, right? That I have been, I've seen the face of God, right? So there's that sense, but whoever this was, if it was God himself, and I'm okay with that, I think there's some good vision imagery in that, that God showed up and wrestled with him, that there was this wrestling match that happened all night. And note, like, like this was not like a, an even match, it wasn't like, you know, there was, ooh, maybe Jacob's going to win, maybe God's going to win kind of thing, you know? Like, you know, there's this kind of, so it's almost like God is a bit like toying with him. I don't like that imagery, but there's a sense that God is like pur purposely provoking Jacob. He's pushing on a button right here because he wants to reveal something to Jacob. And he continues all night long. Jacob is exhausted in the morning and is ready to go, right? Is ready to get out of here and, or you know, doesn't want this guy to go. Excuse me. The, the man is ready to go. But the, the guy, Jacob's like, no, I'm not going to let you go. I'm hanging on. Even after his hip is put out of place and he's struggling and in pain, the fight is over. He continues to cling to this man and demanding that he gives him a blessing before he goes. Think about this. Now, this is kind of the, one of those aha moments for me in, in working through this, and I don't, you know, who knows, I'm, I'm sure others have seen this and heard this or thought of this, but I was immediately, as I was reading through this and prepping, I, I was like, oh, wait a second, the man he's wrestling with him asks him this question, what is your name? Like, why? Like, is there any mystery? Like, you know, if this is indeed God, obviously he knows his name, if it's a man that was sent by God, like, he knows his name. Like, why? Why, why does he ask him what his name is? And I, and I asked this question in my mind as I'm reading through, and then all of a sudden, it came to me. Thank you, Jesus. You're so good. But this reality that when Jacob speaks the name, what is his name? What does it mean? Heel grabber. Heel grabber. How did he come into the world when he was born? He was born hanging on to his brother Esau's heel. How did he live his life? He's lived his life always striving for things that were not his own. They always looking and trying to get that, uh, that blessing from his brother. He was always trying to get it out and figure it out on his own, to do it his way. And even now in this moment, in this wrestling match with God, when it's all but over, instead of just giving up and surrendering, he's still clinging and looking for the blessing. And then God gives him a new name, Israel. And what does Israel mean? Yes, it has this idea of 
wrestling with God, but it ultimately means God-governed. This is, I think, the moment of true surrender for Jacob. I think afterwards when he realizes what he's just been doing, wrestling with God, I think he finally gets it. Do you get it? You know, we, some of these songs we sang, sung, sung today, like the idea of, you know, that, that when we're weak, that God is strong kind of thing, right? You know, I think it kind of misses a little bit of the point because it's not, just, it's not just about when we're weak, God is strong. It's that we are weak. Do we see that? Do, do we embrace and recognize our weakness? Job 12, uh, 10. Uh, Micah, do you have that up? Job 12, 10. Maybe it's going to come up. There it is. In his hand, in God's hand, is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Our American exceptionalism, our American can-do spirit denies the reality that we can do nothing without him. Every breath we take is dependent on the mercy of God. Even our strengths, even the things that we can do that he's gifted us with, right? The only reason we can do those is because of his amazing mercy and grace. That he has gifted us with those things. Our tendency in America is to always do it our way. We can figure it out. I can do this. Yes, I need a little bit of God too. Give me a little bit of Jesus and a lot of coffee. <laughs> but we, no, we don't need the coffee. We don't need our strength. We don't need our talent. We don't need our gifts. We just need Jesus. And coffee. <clears throat> I mean, once he's kind of done his thing, we can have a little cup of coffee. Right? Do, you, do you get that, right? Are, are you Jacob? Are you continuing to wrestle with God? Are you continuing to think that, you know, I can do this. I can figure it out. I just need a little bit more time. I'm going to keep trying. Or, or, or have you given up? Have you recognized, no, wait a second. There's nothing I can do. There's no way I can do this. I had that revelation this week about <laughs> the future of leading in this church. I was like, oh my gosh. All of a sudden, God, you know, like, yeah, there's, this, there's this sense of, I, I kind of stepped back and I looked at the big picture and I was like, there is no way. Like, this is impossible. I am, oh my gosh, what am I going to do, right? And literally filled, spent a day fretting wrestling in my own heart and I think with God like, ah, I can't do this. There's no way. Oh my gosh, who am I? God, there's no way. You, do, you haven't given me enough talent. To, there's no way. This is all going to How is this going to come together? I can't do that. And you know, I think, you know, I was hoping maybe in that moment that God would show up and say, it's okay. You've got this. Do not be afraid. 
But he did the same thing he did to Jacob with me this week. He goes, you're right. You can't. <laughs> right? I, I, have, we, have we come to that spot, right, where we recognize we can't do it? You know, it's amazing God's grace. You know, you know, I think about that with Jacob too. Like, it could have been easy for God just to kind of write Jacob off. It could have been easy for God to just, actually just to destroy him. Like, you are so stubborn, Jacob. I'm just done. We're moving on. I got another, you know, second plan B or whatever, right? This is just not working out. But it's amazing God's grace. That, that he knows what we need. You know, some of us do, the, do need the do not fear, I am with you. We need that sometimes. But we're also, there's times when we just got to stop fighting. Stop trying to manipulate the situation. Stop using our own gifts and abilities and thinking that's enough. Sometimes we need him to show up and say, you can't do this. I think that's part of the wrestling match that God is doing with Jacob. Is like, we're going to do this all night, and it's not a big deal. Like, all it takes is a little tap on the hip, and it's done, right? He could have done that right at the beginning. Let's get this over early. No, but he let Jacob wrestle all night long with him. That, that you know, that <laughs> he wants to sometimes reveal, like, hey, see how stubborn you are? You got to get rid of that. You got to stop being a heel clinger. And allow yourself to be governed by me. <laughs> Jacob forever was changed by this encounter with God. He certainly had the visible sign of a limp. <laughs> He also had an identity change, got a new name. <laughs> but I love in chapter 33, <laughs> you know, uh, chapter 32 almost kind of sets up this tension point, right? Where you're like, oh my gosh, you know, the, the, the two twin brothers, right? I mean, think about the, you know, the Hollywood, how they would you know, address this maybe a little bit, right? The two twin brothers grew up in the same household. And then the younger brother kind of twisted and turned and, and tweaked and did some horrible things to the older brother. And then they escaped for 20 years. And then they came back and they finally met again. And the tensions were high. What's going to happen? What's going to be going on? But, you know, so there's this buildup in chapter 32 of like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen when Esau and Jacob come together? Who, is Esau going to kill him or what's going to happen? But then you get to chapter 33, and it's kind of like, uh, oh, oh, like Esau shows up and like, oh, hey, brother, what's going on? <laughs> but I love at the end of the chapter, the last verse, I think it kind of highlights the change. Well, let me actually, before we do that, I got, I'm going to go back. Let me, he, when, when Jacob prays in 32, note what he says at the beginning of his prayer. And Jacob said, O oh God of my father Abraham and God of my father, father Isaac. Who's he praying to? The God of his grandfather and the God of his father. Look at 33 verse 20. And there Jacob erects an altar and called it El Elohi Israel. God, God 
of Israel, my God of Israel. <laughs> For the first time in Jacob's life, God goes from being the God of his father and the God of his grandfather to his own God. This is the first altar that Jacob builds. Never before worshipped God. But he's changed. He's changed by this encounter. You know, those who are faith-filled, despite some verses from Paul in the New Testament, they don't run and they don't walk. They limp by faith. They, they, they recognize that they can't do it, but they also bear in their bodies and in their souls those wrestling matches with God where he graciously allowed the match to continue until we surrendered. <laughs> Worship team, why don't you come up and just a few questions to leave you with. Do you recognize your dependence on God? Do you, do, you, do you really see that like every day, like there's no way you get through the day without him? What do you still think you can do? More maybe specifically for you right now in your current situation, what current situation are, th are you thinking that you can handle? What current reality in your world are you still kind of trying to manipulate things and work things out so that you can get the blessing? Another way to put it, what aspect of your life are you still clinging for control? I, I think, you know, as, a, as Americans, this is uh, an extra concern for us. Just because we've grown up in this society that's always saying that we can do it. That, that the common response to someone who says, I can't, is, you know, no, it's okay. You, you keep trying. It's, it's all right. You can get there. You can make this. You can do it. Don't worry. You got this. And so in that kind of a culture, in that society, I think it's really easy for us to Christianize that. And think, yeah, you know, mostly I can do it. I just, you know, I just need a little bit of Jesus to help me out, right, on occasion. Only when things get really rough. Then, then okay, okay, God, now I need you because, you know, this is, this is a little bit bigger than what I was expecting, right? So as we uh, just, I guess, process through that this morning, as the Spirit continues to, you know, maybe poke us a little bit, provoke us, if you will, this morning, Open up your heart and your mind to embracing your own weakness and allow him to change your identity from the one who can do it under his own strength to the one who's totally surrendered and dependent on Jesus. Amen? All right, church, let's stand and maybe sing a song or two, and I'll be back with a benediction. First Chronicles 29, 10 to 13. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. 
And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power of the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless church. Again, if you would like prayer, our prayer team would love to pray for you this morning. If you want to process with them maybe some of what the Lord's speaking into your heart this morning, please come and do that. Have a great week.